You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you heading into the weekend. Our first weekend without an NFL game since back in September. Oh, brings a tear to my eye. Anyway, we're still going to talk a little Super Bowl. We're going to talk a little Jerry Jones. We're going to talk more college basketball. Remember I told you Rick Barnes is a disaster in the NCAA tournament? Vols fans, you might want to plug your ears on this one because I've got the stats for you. Also, some other NFL news regarding Tony Romo. We've talked all week about the whole broadcasting thing and how Romo has just fallen off the map. Well, there's a report out from the New York Post saying CBS started an intervention before this season with Tony Romo. We'll talk about that and more momentarily. So I just want to start out with the Dallas Cowboys. And again, this has nothing to do with the fact that I live in Dallas, although obviously I hear about them more on the radio out here. And a couple of the topics that were brought up this week are just kind of telling and kind of pressing issues in regards to the Dallas Cowboys and this franchise. You know about their futility for the last 27 years. Not only have they not reached a Super Bowl, they haven't even reached an NFC Championship game and only two other teams haven't reached an NFC Championship game, or one other team has not reached an NFC Championship game during that time, and that's the Detroit Lions. So people are always questioning, you know, why? And I think most football people, most analysts out there, most television pundits are very well aware that the biggest reason the Cowboys have struggled and had just not been able to get to that mark and get to an NFC Championship game and get to a Super Bowl is the fact that Jerry Jones is the general manager of this team. He will not relinquish that. He wants all the credit when they do win. And it's the only owner in all of football who also is the general manager. It makes zero sense. He's not a guy that's out there scouting. He's not a guy that's just digging through scouting reports and all this stuff and is this great GM. No. He's the owner of the team. He fronts all the money. It just makes no sense. Don't even ask why this guy won't remove himself as the GM. It's been the biggest issue that the Cowboy fans have had with him, among other things, uh, you know, since their last Super Bowl. But again, Jerry was interviewed recently, and him and his son, Stephen Jones, who will eventually take over the team once Jerry dies, said this in the last few days. They did not think that Ezekiel Elliott has lost a step this season. In Ezekiel Elliott's last 50 carries of the season, he gained a total, total of 100 yards. And they don't think he lost a step. That's why you guys haven't done jack shit in 27 seasons. Because, look, I know they're not going to throw their own running back under the bus. They're not going to say, you know what, Zeke looks terrible. We need to get him out of here. I get they're not going to say that. But... The problem with the Jones family has always been they're too they're loyal to a fault. And when you get your favorites and you get your people that you stick your neck out for, like they did for Zeke when he was in trouble with the NFL, and they give him a big fat contract and he's owed a lot of money, you're just not going to throw him under the bus. And loyalty is going to end up kicking them in the butt because he's got such a fat loaded contract. And I just don't think they have the balls to say, bye, Zeke, you're not producing for us. We're done. It's because they like him. And football is a business. 
You got to treat it like one. And sometimes the Cowboys treat it too much like family. You think Bill Belichick would keep a running back around who's making as much as Zeke is and in his last 50 carries of the season totaled 100 yards? Not a chance in hell. But it's what the Jones are used to, and this is what they do, and this is why you haven't won anything in 27 years. Jerry was also talking about the San Francisco 49ers, and he tried to compare himself to that team by saying, well, they haven't won a Super Bowl since we last won one either. Uh, Okay, Jerry. You could say that about a lot of teams, actually, but do you really want to compare yourself to the Niners and say we're at the same spot they are because they haven't won a Super Bowl since we last won one? Yes, technically, you are right. They have not. But you know what else they've done? They've knocked you out of the playoffs the last two years. They've been to the NFC Championship game six times in the last 12 years and three of the last four. So don't try and say, hey, hey, the Niners, they haven't won a Super Bowl either. They're 10 times better than you. And their organization is top-notch from top to bottom. they got a great GM in John Lynch. they got a, a coach that everybody would die for in Kyle Shanahan. Stop it. Like this is, what, this is what frustrates the Dallas Cowboy fans. Statements like that. Hey, Zeke hasn't lost a step. Man, Niners are right where we are. They're in the same boat. No, they're not. <laughs> they're way better than you. How could you even say that? They've knocked you out of the playoffs the last two years. They've been to the NFC Championship game three of the last four years. You haven't been once in 27 years. Like, it is asinine, some of the things that come out of Jerry Jones' mouth. But that's why they are what they are, a non-factor when it comes to the NFL, outside of being the most valued franchise in all of sports. I'm talking about record-wise and putting fear in God, the fear of God into other teams whether it's in the playoffs, in the regular season, road, home, they're just another team when it comes to just football on the field. No, they're not when it comes to marketing and money brought in. But good Lord, Jerry, what he's just running his mouth again and saying absolute asinine things. A little Super Bowl talk here in that, um, you know how I told you a lot of the time, especially when it comes to the conference championships. I don't remember what the numbers were last week, but when it came to betting, I said, look, the number really doesn't come into a play when you bet the conference championship. You pick the winner, you're going to win, I think it was 85% of the time. The line never really has played a role in the, in the NFC and AFC championship games. You just pick the winner, and the winning team is going to cover, whether they're the dog and they win outright, or whether they're the favorite and they cover. Well, if you want to know the Super Bowl number, here it is. There's been 56 Super Bowls. The Super Bowl winner, the winner of the game, has covered 46 of the 56 Super Bowl games, and three of them were pushes, so they've only lost seven times. So 49 out of the 56 Super Bowls, if you picked the winning team, you won your bet. That's 88% of them. And with the line right now at one and a half, Philly minus one and a half, it's probably not coming into play in this game either. I mean, do we, do we really think this is going to be a one-point game? I don't think – you can't predict that. It's hard enough to predict who's going to win games. Now you're telling people to predict how many points they're going to win by? Yeah, it's, it's tough. But on a one-point spread, there's only one way that the spread can have a, a, a factor in the game, 
is if Philly wins by exactly one point. And there's obviously way more outcomes where it doesn't finish that way. However, last year's game is one of those seven times where the winning team did not cover. Remember, the Rams were favored by four over the Bengals, and they won by three. So they won the game, but they didn't cover. The Bengals won the bet. So just know that going into Sunday's next Sunday's game. 46-7-3 is the record against the spread of the winning team in the Super Bowl. So if the favorite if the favorite wins, they're probably covering. If the dog wins, they're probably winning the game outright. I don't know the seven offhand, although I just named one of them, which was last year. But if I if I looked at this if I looked at the games, I could probably point out. Oh, I think they covered. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure New England was more than a three point favorite over the Carolina Panthers when they beat them by three. I'm pretty sure the Patriots were more than a three-point favorite over the Philadelphia Eagles, and they beat them by three. So those were Eagles and Panthers were two teams that I believe lost the game but covered. Uh, So the winning team did not cover the spread in that game, Patriots twice. Um, So that's three. Uh, There are others, obviously. I don't want to go through the whole whole list right now, but uh, just keep that in mind. Um, 46-7-3 is the stat against the spread, the winning team in the Super Bowl couple NFL stories to go over for you here. I don't know why, but New York Giants safety Julian Love decided to throw out one of the worst takes heading into Super Bowl. Um, basically just not giving Philadelphia Eagle head coach Nick Sirianni any sort of credit whatsoever uh, for coaching his team to the best record in all of football this year. He said he's a guy who's really doing a good job because he's not getting in the way of his team. He has an experienced roster from top to bottom, offense, defense. Okay. Isn't that the job of a coach to kind of just stay out of the way? Don't micromanage everything? And he even said it again yesterday. Philly fans, sure not going to like this one, but I'm not wrong. This is a player's league, and Philly has dogs on the roster top to bottom. Dogs is a positive word, by the way, in football. It's no mystery why they're in this position. They have a talented roster, and Sirianni is just doing the best thing he can do. I think it's a player's league, and he's just taking a step back and letting his team play. Just a horrible take by giant safety Julian Love. What? I don't even see what the point is to say that. Why? I, I, I guess that he was upset because Sirianni mean mugged to the camera when they were blowing the Giants the fuck out. So he's bitter that the Giants killed them three times this year? I don't know. Just a bad take. The coach of a 14-3 and team, team that is also now 16-3 and and 16-1 and when Jalen Hurts is under center, you're going to say, like, yeah, he just stands out of the way and lets everyone else do all the work. Like, man, that's, that's pretty sad. You know, I understand they beat you twice and you're upset. And it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and the Eagles fan, Eagle, a couple of Eagles players just shot back at him like, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. The Eagles players love Sirianni. And why Julian Love felt the need to make that take beats the hell out of me. But it's really bad. I mean, <laughs> it just doesn't. Why? What's the point of saying that? The coach isn't any good. 
You're basing this on what? The guy's been a head coach in the NFL for two years. He's made the playoffs both years, and in his second year, he's in the Super Bowl. But, oh, it's all about the player. It's only the players' reason. The reason is the players. Yes, the players are the ones on the field doing things that get teams to the Super Bowl. But if you have a horseshit coach, you're not going anywhere. Case in point, the Jacksonville Jaguars were hot garbage two years ago with Urban Meyer as the head coach. Hot effing garbage. Yes, they got some players in the offseason, but they went from literally the laughingstock of the NFL to the playoffs and winning a playoff game the very next year because they brought in a coach who, oh my God, he had a Super Bowl under his belt. So clearly coaching does matter. Dumb take. So my favorite story to talk about all this week, as you know, has been this whole Tony Romo, Greg Olson battle of the number one analysts for CBS and Fox, respectively. And I said, you know, look, Romo's just sliding. He's getting worse. And Olsen stole the show this year. And what are you going to do with Brady coming in? We're not going to talk about Olsen today. I feel like I've pumped him up enough this week. But we are going to talk about Romo because a New York Post writer named Andrew Marshawn, who has a sports media podcast that I listen to on occasion, he said in this week's episode, Tony Romo needs to study more. He needs to be better prepared. As you move away from the sidelines, you need to do more work. I know CBS is aware of this. They tried an intervention last offseason. They knew. They anticipated this. That's a credit to them, the people in charge there, but it has not gotten better. End quote. They staged an intervention with Tony Romo? Was the intervention about not screaming? Was it like intervention Dylan McKay style where they brought Jack, not Jack McKay, where they brought uh, Brandon's dad in and a whole group and said, Dylan, you're doing, you're drinking too much and you've got a problem. Was it like that type of intervention in the Walsh uh, family room? Or was it like party of five intervention where they told Bailey, Bailey, you drink too much. And if you keep drinking, I'm going to break up with you. You remember that episode? From Party of Five, when they had the intervention with Bailey after he almost killed Jennifer Love Hewitt because he was driving drunk. And remember what his response was? I think this was a moment in TV that I'll never forget because I don't think we'd ever seen a TV show like this that had an intervention episode to where the result of the intervention episode was the person being intervened with said, you know what? Yeah, you're right, but not I'm going to go get some help. It was, you know what? This is ingrained in me. My dad was an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. This is just the way I am. So thanks, but no thanks. That was powerful back then, and I couldn't believe that that episode went the way that it did. I just assumed it was going to go like every other intervention episode where they confront somebody and that person either denies it and says, I don't have a problem, and then later on gets to a point where they realize, yes, I do. I'm going to check myself in or accepts that they have a problem and then goes into rehab. Bailey was like, yeah, I know. This is me. This is who I am. So I'm just going to live with it. And yeah. So anyway, what was it talking about? Oh, yeah. Tony Romo. Somehow they got linked to Party of Five. Um, yeah, there are rumors out there that the guy, ever since he got his fat contract from CBS, basically stopped doing his homework and was not putting in the time and the effort to study games, look at film. And it's starting to show. And media is starting to notice. And... In this day and age, you are scrutinized for everything. 
that you do on air. It's very easy, and especially on Sunday when there's only one other game. And so the only thing people have to compare Tony Romo to this past Sunday was Greg Olson's work on the Eagles-Niners game, and it was a whitewash. He absolutely blew him out in terms of who was more pleasant to listen to, who was more informative, who'd you learn more from. It wasn't even close. So, yeah, it's very it, – people seem to know that Romo – I didn't know that there was an intervention before the season. So they even knew going into this season, like, yeah, he's slipping. And then yet, now hearing that, I'm like, well, shit, the intervention did nothing. Did he pull a Bailey and is like, yeah, I know I'm not any good and I'm not going to get any better and I'm not going to try to get better because he didn't get better this season. He was worse. I think I might have to start calling Tony Romo Bailey because he certainly seemed to accept an intervention with, eh, let's keep doing what I'm doing. Well, goodbye. <laughs> no, you won't, Tony. You've been horrible. There's a couple uh, shows out here in Dallas that have um, absolutely uh, broken down. And, 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 you know, I don't want to take their work, their hard work that they put in, but there are people that watched the whole game on Sunday and recorded every time Tony Romo said the word Jim. Like when he would describe something, he would say, hey, Jim, here it comes. Like that's just so wrong in so many ways. Tony, you're not broadcasting to one person. You're play-by-play guy, Jim Nance. You're broadcasting to an audience. Why do you keep referring to everything to Jim? You don't need to say Jim the whole game. And somebody recorded it, recorded all of them, played them back. It was over 25 times. I'm sure it's out there on the internet. It was done by uh, The Hang Zone. The Noon to Three show on the ticket. I believe Jake Kemp is the one that recorded it all. His Twitter handle is at not Jack Kemp. Maybe he put it up there, but go check it out. <laughs> I didn't look on his Twitter account if he did put it up there, but I listened to the show and I heard it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. How many times Tony Romo in the game says, you know what, Jim? And this is, you know, Jim this, Jim that. Just the biggest snafu you can make. Why is he referencing his partner? You're you're broadcasting to the audience. At no point did Greg Olson ever say Kevin Burkhart's name during the broadcast. He has no reason to because he knows what he's doing. Embarrassing, man. And finally, I'm going to end on this college basketball note. I told you I was going to bring this up closer to the tournament. Well, I'll bring it up now, and I'll bring it up as we get closer to the tournament once the seedings are out, just to remind people. But Tennessee Vol basketball fans, plug your ears on this one because this is putrid. Rick Barnes, the head coach at Tennessee who came from, coached at Providence, coached at Texas. His teams have made the NCAA tournament four times since he's been coach at Tennessee. He's lost three times to double-digit seeds in those four appearances and that fourth appearance, he lost to a team that had a lesser seed than him. So all four times he's been in the tournament with the Vols, he's lost to a lower seed than him, and three of those four were to double-digit seeds. Since Barnes's 2007 and 2008 Texas team got to the Elite Eight, every Barnes squad that has made the second week, every Barnes squad have made the second weekend of the tournament once. In 10 tries. 
to make the second weekend, that just means you have to win the first two games in the first weekend, either Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday. Ten times since 2008, Rick Barnes has not been able to get to the second weekend, has not been able to win two games, and he's had some good teams. I'm going to zip through these. 2009, as a seven seed, lost in the second round to Duke, who was a two seed. Fair enough, Duke was better. Next year, as an eight seed, lost in round one to a nine seed, Wake Forest. 2011, they were a four seed. They lost a five seed, Arizona, in the second round. 2012, as an 11 seed, lost to six seed, Cincinnati, in the first round. 2014, as a seven seed, lost to two seed, Michigan. Okay. 2015, as an 11 seed, lost in the first round to six seed, Butler. And then Tennessee, like I said, they were a three seed, and they lost to 11 seed, Loyola, Chicago. In round two, in 2019, they were a two-seed, lost to three-seed Purdue. That was the one team they lost to that wasn't a double-digit seed in the four years he's been there. The other two, in 2021, as a five-seed, he lost to 12-seed Oregon State in the first round. And then last year, as a three-seed, they lost to Michigan in the second round. Just not good. And you look at the rankings right now in college basketball, and the numbers that Tennessee has put up, they're looking at another two or three seed, and you almost have to play the numbers because this is Tennessee. This is a Tennessee team that isn't great offensively, really good defensively, but they were the same thing last year. And you look at them sitting at a two or a three seed, which means they're going to get if they're a two seed, they're going to get the seven seed in the second round because you assume they're not going to lose to a fifteen seed. Three seed, maybe not lose to a 14 seed, but if they're a two seed, they're going to get the seven seed in the second round. If they're a three seed, they're going to get the six seed in their region. I mean, if if the seven and the six win their first round matchups, but don't you have to just bet against Tennessee in the second round this year? No matter who they're playing, they just don't get. He doesn't win two games in the in the postseason. The last 10 years. He's either gone 0-1 or 1-1 in that first weekend, nine of the ten weekends. Only went 2-0 once, and he's had some really good teams. I just reeled them off to you. So just keep that in mind. I'm sure I'll remind you as the brackets come out uh, the weekend, uh, the week of March. uh, Let's see, I'm going to Vegas on the 15th, so they come out on the 12th. Sunday the 12th is when the brackets come out. I'm sure on that Monday the 13th I'll remind you how bad Tennessee basketball or actually Rick Barnes head coached teams do in the NCAA tournament. So keep that in mind. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. It is much appreciated. I hope you have a great weekend, even though there is no NFL football for the first time since the weekend after Labor Day. That sucks. But we do have Pro Bowl stuff. That'll be fun to watch. Check out the NFL Network tonight for all the uh, shenanigans going on in Vegas for the obstacle course and dodgeball and best catch, all this stuff that they're doing uh, at the Pro Bowl. should be a lot different this year. It should be a little bit more fun. Anyway, thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television.